All right. Here we go. All the way back in the beginning. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Glad that you're here. And uh, I wanted to start a little bit of a personal note before we dive into the book of Genesis. Super appreciated everybody praying for my wife, Laurel. She had her second eye surgery on Monday morning. Um, and it's hard to know how to share this information with people because he here's what you don't know. So the, the surgeries cannot fix Bietti's crystalline dystrophy and cystoid macular edema. That wasn't the goal of them. What, they were what we were hoping is that they would give Laurel a little bit of clarity back on her remaining vision. And it appears, it appears, thank you Jesus, it appears that, uh, that the surgery was successful. And so now we need to just wait and be patient. If you could pray for two things. You can pr well, actually, let's pray for three. Uh, you can pray against inflammation. You can pray against edema. And you can pray um, uh, against anything that the devil would whisper her to say, it's okay now, but it's going to go away. Does that make sense? So you pray for those three things, that'd be great. Um, and if you can continue doing the things that you normally do. She can't see your face, so don't be offended if you wave at Laurel and she doesn't wave back. She can't see you. Um, but, and if you do say hi to her, just tell her who you are. Once she hears your voice once, she'll pretty much remember you forever. That's just kind of how it works in our world. And we thank you for your prayers, the love and encouragement and support over the last decade plus as we've walked through this journey has been incredible. And we're not done yet. We just think this is, we actually haven't had good news in 24 years. So to actually have a little bit of good news, that's a good thing. And it means that I'm really excited and shaking and quivering, so we're going to have a really good time. So anyways, to the book of Genesis. This is actually graduation weekend in Whatcom County, which means high school students and college students are celebrating their, the, the, this amazing achievement. They come to this milestone. And if they're wise, they'll at least take a single moment where they're going to turn around and look backwards and think about either preschool or kindergarten where the journey started. They have to go back to the beginning to really appreciate how far that they have come. And we all need to do that. There are times we just need to go back to the beginning, kind of refocus your attention that way, just to see how far you've come. Not to live in, in, in the glory days of the past or, or to get stuck in old failures, but just to have that long-term perspective. 28 years ago today, in fact, about 25 minutes ago, 28 years ago, I was standing at the end of the aisle in a white tuxedo with a mullet waiting for my bride to come walking down. Today is our 28th anniversary. And I found myself today... I found myself just looking back to the beginning of our relationship because I tell you what, it just makes you appreciate the 28 years since then. I mean, the fact that she's still with me is a miracle of God. Let's be honest, okay? And so, but you get that kind of long-term perspective. We're going to try and capture that over the next two and a half months. I know it seems like a long time, but if you look at the book of Genesis, they got a lot to cover. So here's what I want you to do, whether it's in your app or your Bible, I want you to go to the first page of the first verse, of the first chapter, of the first book, where we begin to find God's relentless plan for humanity. And I want to plant this seed in your mind, and that's this. God's relentless plan has not shifted at all. It's the same plan that he enacted from the very first day, from the very first creation, and it still includes you. So if you open your Bible to the first verse, the first chapter, the first, it says these words, in the beginning God created. Let's just stop there for a second. The Latin phrase is ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. I love that. God didn't start with anything. God didn't start with something. 
He began with nothing other than his unlimited and eternal power. And God began to create because he's creative. And God created with passion and God created with care. And God did not wind up the universe, set it down, take a step back and go, let's just see how this works out. God has been meticulously involved in every single detail all the time without a lapse. And that should bring bring unbelievable hope to everyone's heart in the room tonight because what it means is this. If God started off meticulously intertwined in every single detail of creation, he's still intertwined with every single detail of your life. He knows exactly what is going on because he's always present. He's always paying attention right down to the minutest detail, which means this. He's here. He's working. He's calling. He's creating. As I'm talking, he's creating something new in every single human being that's got a pulse and is still breathing. And if you want to know where the breath came from, God just created it and gave it to you. I get just a little excited and intimidated when I take a look at the book of Genesis. This book is crazy and it's controversial. For the record, every book of the Bible is a little crazy and a little controversial because God's truth and modern culture, they tend not to run in the same direction. Have you noticed that? They tend to come into this a little bit. There tends to be a little friction sometimes. There tend to be issues that crop up. So there's going to be trouble all the way through the book. You can pray. I'll preach, and we'll see how that actually rolls, okay? But let's start with a troubling question. Why is this book so controversial? Like, why? Genesis sparks a lot of debate. I just listed just a few of the controversies in your outline, okay? It starts with the classic debate between creation science versus evolution. You've heard these, right? If you, if you did high school in the States, you heard this type of debate going back and forth. And it asks a series of very profound questions. Was man created by an intelligent designer? Or did we evolve from an animal species and adapt to our environment? There's the controversy between microevolution and macroevolution. There's the debate over the second law of thermodynamics that states, and I quote, that total entropy of an isolated system can only increase over time, which basically says things aren't getting better. They're slowly breaking down. Left on their own, they don't improve. They actually disintegrate, which is why if you park a Honda in a field and leave it for 100 years, when you come back, you got a broken down Honda, not a BMW. Does that make sense? Now the debate comes in, does that apply to living beings, living organisms? How does all of that stuff go together? There's debate and controversy between the creation side and the other side. And I don't like that kind of conflictual type of language, but there's also debate within the creation side. There's debate about young young earth versus old earth. And people will make cases. Is the earth somewhere between four and 10,000 years old? Or is it millions of years old? And how does that affect the proponents of creation science and evolutionists and theistic evolutionists and people who are confused by every term that I've already used tonight? Just stick with me, okay? There's the debate between literal 24-hour creation versus what's something known as the age-day theory. And the debate goes back and forth. Did God create in literal 24-hour periods as we know them? Or did each day represent a longer period of time known as an age? And people make arguments about They say, well, the Hebrew word grant is yom, which means day. Literal day, literal night, 
Stick them together. That means day. And other biblical people who love Jesus just as much as you do stand in the corner and put their hand up and say, but Grant, the Bible says that God says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So how does that go together? Stick with me. Some of you are going, why does it matter and why do people get so worked up about this stuff? That's what I want to know. We'll figure it out. There's the debate between uh, or about cultural creation epics and flood stories. I was a Near Eastern ancient history major in college. I spent a lot of time looking at old Sumerian flood stories and creation epics. And people ask the question, is the Bible just, is this just another one of those creation stories? Is it the equivalent, the modern equivalent of the Gilgamesh epic? Or is it something completely different? Then there's the debate about authorship. Did Moses write the first five books of the Bible, including Genesis? Or was it compiled according to the JEDP theory? Some of you are like, what in the world is that? The JEDP, JEDP theory says there were actually four different editors who all contributed to the first five books of the Bible, and the letters represent Jehovah Elohim, the Deuteronomy writer, and the priestly editor of Leviticus. And some of you are like, I didn't even know that was a question. That's okay. There's the debate about God's role in creation and his relationship to mankind. I already mentioned this. So did God actually create it, start it, and stay intimately involved? Or did he wind it up like a clock, put it on the counter, take a step back and say, let's just see how this works out? Then there's the debate about original sin. And we're asking questions. Why did Adam's mistake cost me so much? I mean, why couldn't the guy just keep his failure to himself? Why does God punish me because of something that some ancient naked dude did? That's what I want to know. Why am I born with a sin nature? Why do I have to work? Why are McDonald's fries so good but so bad for me at the same time? Why does everybody hate Nickelback? Why is Grant asking all of these questions? We're going to get into all of this in Genesis. Some of you are like, who's Nickelback? <laughs> then there's debate about the mysterious characters and curiosities of Genesis. The Nephilim, the Mark of Cain, the Theophanies. I mean, what does the Bible mean when it says the sons of God, plural, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose? I mean, do we, we got like an ancient version of the dating game going on here. What in the world is up with this stuff? Who are the Nephilim and what's with the Mark of Cain and why should I care? I just listed some of the debates. It's going to be a good summer. I hope you're still with me. Now, I want us to be careful, okay? Because if we get caught up in all of the debates, I think we're going to miss the point. So let me just say this from the outset. How are we going to approach the book of Genesis? We're going to approach it the exact same way that we approach the book of Revelation. We're going to do it pastorally, okay? I'm going to say right from the outset, because it'll probably save me and you maybe some angst. I'm not a scientist, I'm not a deep theologian. I'm not an evolutionist. I'm a pastor. And I want to shepherd you through this book because I believe what you can learn from this book applies to human beings in 2017. 
I believe everything that God wants to reveal to us is unbelievably important. I want you to walk out every week not just knowing some more information. I actually believe this series could hold transformation for so many of us. So we're going to walk it through with love and care. And I'm going to remind you of something that's going to make some of you a little frustrated. But honestly... Let's just say it and get it over with. There were certain things about Revelation that you can't know because you're not there. There are certain things about Genesis that you can't know because you weren't there. And if you can figure out God, what kind of God do you have? So we're going to walk through all of this. And we're going to do it pastorally, which means this. We're going to go looking for Jesus. We may not find him by name, but we're going to find foreshadowing and we're going to find pictures. We're going to find images because the Bible says he was there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the be- he was there. So we're going to go looking for him. And we're going to do everything we can to stay humble in the process. And if you just want to come to fight and argue, i got two words for you. Grow up. <laughs> was that subtle? Okay. <laughs> Because I'll tell you what happens. Good conversation says this. We can disagree. We are allowed to disagree, but let's pursue truth together. Bad conversation says this. I'm right, you're wrong, let me tell you about it. And that doesn't work well for anybody. Let's keep moving because we haven't even made it to the first verse yet. Okay, a little background. Okay, who wrote Genesis and why? I believe according to Mark chapter 12, Luke 24, I believe this. Now you are welcome to disagree with me Okay, as long as you're studying your Bible for yourself and not just relying on a Google search, okay, go to the Bible yourself. But I believe that the author of Genesis was Moses. I think in Mark 12 and Luke 24, Jesus relates that Moses had authorship as part of his role as a biblical patriarch. He was basically one of the big guys, okay? I could spend a lot of time here, but we're just going to keep it simple. I believe Scripture teaches that Moses would make the most sense when it came to authorship. Now, if that's who wrote it, why in the world did he write it? So what was the purpose? And I believe it's this. It's a family history lesson, which means this is a big deal. My mom, if you come to my house and go into one of my back closets, you're going to find a burgundy-colored, it's a binder. It is the historic it's the historic family tree and the genealogy of the Fishbook clan, okay? She went back multiple generations to my great-great-great-grandfathers and traced our history all the way back through Western Europe and Eastern Europe, all the way back to this little place in what is now considered Poland. And I learned all about my history. I learned why my grandparents got off the train in Swan River, Manitoba, And you got to ask the question, why would anybody get off the train in Swan River, Manitoba? Because I've actually been into Ukraine and Poland. It all came together for me when I got just, I said, oh, I get it. They got off the train because it looked like home. Just looked like home. It was simple as that. I learned out of my mom's research how I got the name Fishbook. My name used to be Foshbook. And then my family showed up at Halifax and immigrated into Canada, and an immigration officer said, you can't come into the country with a name like that. It looks like Fishbook. And I still have issue with that man, <laughs> because going through middle school with the last name of Fishbook is not kind to anybody. Just saying, okay? Genesis is our family history. This matters to all of us, and it deals specifically with Abraham's physical descendants. Those are the Jewish people. 
And then Abraham's spiritual descendants. Those are all those who've been grafted into God's family because they're following the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, knowing this book was a family history, it makes something clear to me. Let me tell you what Genesis was never meant to me. It was never meant to be a science textbook. Okay? And it was never meant to be a genealogy. Okay? Now, before you freak out, Genesis has amazing scientific elements. But if you boil it down to merely science, I think you miss all of the applications. It could change the way you view both God and the way he created and why he created he did, well, what he did. Genesis was also never meant to be merely a genealogy, even though the family tree of Jesus is fascinating. You know what I love it? Because it's broken and dysfunctional. It gives us hope for all of our family trees. Okay? So you can't read it just to find out who all the dead people are. You also can't read it just to create a, a debate or an argument because if you do, you're going to be violating something that the Apostle Paul instructed a young pastor about years ago. Paul said it to Timothy, I'm going to say it to you. The Bible says, command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So that means this. If we get to the end of this study and we're not loving each other more and we're not loving Jesus more, then we failed. So we've got to keep that in the center of all of this. Let's keep going on. Let me introduce you to a brief history of the universe, okay? All right? Let's start with a little bit of pre-creation. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God exists in eternity past, okay? God always was, always is, always will be. He's eternal in both directions. That's why the Bible says from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, which means nothing created God. God is eternal both directions. Jesus is before all ages, now and forevermore. That's what the Bible says. God always has been and always will be. Poof goes the brain, okay? Hard to fathom that. Somewhere in the time span before the beginning happened, the Bible actually says that there were other things going on. The Bible said that God created angels somewhere there. We have no idea exactly when. Genesis 1, Job chapter 38. The book of Job says angels were created, or the, the, the angels were actually already there during creation, and that there was some backstory that came along with that particular part of the creation, because at some point, Satan, a third of the angels, rebelled, and they were judged. Okay, so this is amazing. And this is where it starts to get personal. Before there were even people, pride was already causing problems. Lucifer was a worship leader. That's what scripture tells us. He got full of himself. He thought he could be equal with God. Others decided to follow him, and it did not go well at all. I don't know why it works this way. It's always the musician's fault every single time. You always blame it on the worship team, right? But it's so interesting to me that right out of the get-go, before the verse even happens, there's a reminder to all of us that we've got to be humble. I've learned this. If you spend all of your time being right, you're probably not even going to be open to what God may have to teach you through this process. 
I mean, don't be, don't be that person who just is consumed with being right. When I went to college, I walked into a, a class of the Pentateuch, and I was greeted with these words. If you don't believe in a literal 24-hour creation, enjoy hell. No pressure, right? No pressure. Can I just remind everybody of something? A lot of the things we're going to talk about, these are not salvation issues. You can hold them with an open hand. We can talk about this stuff without having to draw a line and push each other apart. I just think that breaks God's heart when we do that. This story is supposed to pull us together as a family, not drive us apart. All right. That's just the introduction. And I'm already in trouble with the clock, but that's okay, because those of you that are age day theorists, uh, a, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, and the 24-hour literal people, you're freaking out right now. Okay, so let's come back to what's important. In the beginning, God created. It's out of nothing, God creates, and this is how the Bible says God went about creating. Here's the six-day account. You can read it on your own. Day one. God creates heavens and earth, light, and then he splits light into day and night, okay? So just try to wrap your head around it. The God who always was, always is, and always will be, he begins to create, and he begins to create the heavens and the earth, and then he creates light. Can you imagine that? I mean, the Trinity is just talking amongst themselves. It's a little dark in here. Flip the switch. And light comes to being out of nothing. God doesn't need anything to start with. He's just like, let there be light. And he turns it on, knowing that thousands of years later, the Holy Spirit would superintend a human writer to write the words, God is light, and in him there's no darkness of all. Thousands of years before that even gets put on paper, God's just like, watch this, light. God separates light. And I love the fact that he's doing it because he knows the people that I'm about to create and put inside of that light, they're going to need time to work and they're going to need time to play, but they're also going to need time to rest and they're going to need time to sleep. So I'm, I'm going to build this beautiful system in whereby they know when it's time to check out. And then because God is so gracious, he goes, and then I'm going to create afternoon naps because they're just beautiful. The Bible says he creates that, heavens and earth, light, day and night, and then he steps back and says, okay, that's good. Day two, God creates atmosphere and sky. Why did he paint it blue? I have no idea. I think it's a foreshadowing of Seahawks colors. That's just my opinion, okay? I'm just saying, okay? He makes air invisible. What if he made air pink? What if he made it orange? I don't know. He didn't. He made it transparent. I'm looking through it right now, and I can see all of you. And it's actually being carried through the images of my eyes and my retinal refractions and all of the rest of that, all because God just decided, I'm going to make that clear. Why? Because God's creative. And then he steps back and says, that's good. Day three is one of my favorites. God makes dirt. He makes dirt. The Bible says he creates dry land, 
separates, separates the water and creates vegetation. So I just want you to try and wrap your imagination around this. There's nothing there but water. It says the, the Spirit of God hovered over the water, and then God just starts pushing stuff apart. And he starts reaching down out of nothing, because it says there's nothing there, and he begins to pull up pieces of, of ground. Australia. Africa. There it is. And he does it without effort and without growing weary, ever. He carves them out with his hand. He pinches mountains together with the tips of his fingers. Wrap your head into that and you're not even close to how he did it. He covers valleys with flowers and hillsides with trees. He makes nasturtiums and and daisies and redwoods and cactus out of nothing. God creates it, and at the end of day three, he goes, that's good. Day four, God goes vertical. He creates stars, sun, moon, and planets. And the Bible says that he named them individually. Every single one of the heavenly bodies, the ones that we see and can't see, were all named by God. He named them because he knew them so intimately. And the vast expanse of the universe is so far beyond our brain, it's impossible to even understand it. But let's just take a little shot at it. So God creates this earth, this little speck of dust, and then he creates a sun, and he puts the earth exactly the distance it needs to be. If it was any closer, it would cook us. If it was any further away, we would freeze. And the size of the earth in relationship to the sun, it would take 1.3 million earths to fill the same space as the sun. I mean, the earth is this little speck of dust spinning on the tip of Jesus' finger, and it's got all of his attention. And you're on it, which means he's got, you have his full attention. God finishes that and says, that's good. Day five, God creates fish, birds, and sea life. That's a day, isn't it? Sharks and eels, ostriches and pigeons, all at the same time. Whales and guppies, finches and dodo birds. I mean, that is unbelievably creative. Fills the sea, fills the sky. When was the last time you just stared at an eagle? I saw one today. Flew right over top of me. That was a good day. I'm going to paint that one's head white. Amazing. God steps back and says, that's good. Day six, God creates land animals. I love it. He makes a beaver, right? Why? I don't know. Just like pull the tail, flatten it, give him an inner warning system, right? You know, just like, there you go telling all of his buddies, makes a beaver. I, I, my, so you just have to forgive me because my brain goes crazy on this stuff, right? So he makes a beaver and then he makes another one and he kind of looks at it and goes, that's kind of boring. That's kind of boring. What did I make yesterday? Where'd that duck go? <laughs> hey, duck, come here for a second. I need to borrow something from you. Right off the end of his nose, stick it on the beaver. Ah, platypus. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. He makes monkeys. Has anyone ever seen a tarsier monkey? A tarsier monkey is the monkey that everybody puts on, like you Google them, because they're the ones that have eyes that are seven times too big for their head. You know what it looks like? It looks like God made a monkey and then just squeezed a little too hard, right? It's like, oh! 
And then God makes mankind, male and female, with complex anatomy and a brain and a will and opposable thumbs. And then he comes and he creates something else. He creates dominion. He says, man, you're in charge over the living things and all of the plants. And the reason you're in charge is not so you'll get on this big power trip, but that you will steward them as a gift from your creator. And you need to take care of it. I love at the end of the six-day creation account because at the very end of it, God steps back from the creation of man. It's the one time he changes his script. And instead of just saying it's good, he says, now that's very good. Here's what's incredible. He says it's very good even though he knows what's going to happen. That somehow that amazing out of dust creation that has a will that's going to use the will in, in a wrong direction and make poor, uh, unbelievable, eternal choices. Somehow that God still looks at that and says, even though I know the direction they're going to go, even though I know they're going to exalt themselves and pride is going to be an unbelievably difficult struggle for them, in spite of all of that, it's very good. If you don't feel very good today when you look at yourself, who are you to say that about God's creation? Because he still says, very good. And then on day seven, he rests. Not because he was tired, but because he knew at the end of a long Saturday you would be. And he wanted you to know you got permission. Six days, work hard. Last one, chill. And he modeled it for us so that we would follow in his footsteps in the beginning of his relentless plan. I could spend hours talking about creation. I won't. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework for this week. When you walk out the door of the church, look around. Just look around. Pay attention. To the people of the Pacific Northwest growing up in Manitoba, I never get used to your mountains. You get too used to your mountains. You don't even notice them in the morning when God paints the tops of them with pinks and blues and oranges. You don't understand how beautiful it is when he closes the curtain over top of the ocean. Just look around and then let's have a conversation about whether or not it all just showed up. A large part of the Genesis story focuses on how God deals and interacts with the portion of his creation that we call human beings. And over and over and over through this story, we're going to see a cycle. It's a cycle that teaches us how proud and broken we are and how relentless and perfect God is. We're going to see it over and over and over again. I put it in your outline this way. It's the cycle of relationship between God and man. And we're going to see it next week in Genesis chapter 2 and the week after that in Genesis 3, 4, and 5. And then we're going to see it in 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And we're going to follow it all the way through the end of the book and it's going to keep right on going right up until 2017. But I've seen this cycle exhibited in my own life over and over and over again. And while there's parts of it that make me sad, the rest of it thrills my soul. It always starts with this. God creates. He creates with purpose and passion and vision and he continues to create perpetually. And then when God creates something, he connects. God connects. 
God moves a, a little bit closer to what he created. He shares his heart and he shares his plan and he loves and he directs and he hopes and he guides because God desperately wants to connect with you. Even if you've stepped away from him, he just keeps stepping towards you. It's inside of his character. He's a father in love with his creation. It's like a grandpa that looks at his grandchild and just can't get enough. Even though they're pooping and screaming and doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing, there's just something about that connection that cannot be denied. God connects, but inevitably, we sin. And we're going to talk about this a lot. We get proud. We think we know better. We violate God's plan. We violate God's heart. And because we choose anything over relationship with God, something tragic happens. Relationship breaks. And we find ourselves separated and lost and hopeless and doomed but we're not completely without hope because you see that there's a creating, connecting God who even though we sin and relationship is broken, God has, has a heart and so he reaches for his children and we see God restoring. God restores and even though we don't deserve it, he opens the door to relationship again and again and he restores hope even though we choose stuff over him and relationships over him and our plan over his plan. God's relentless plan of love is always to restore us and he opens the door and, and, and he invites us to invite him to come back in and put all the pieces together even though he created it and we smashed it. He still wants it to be put together and then he isn't done yet even though he's in the process of restoring God redeemed he buys us back from an enemy that we sell ourselves to he breaks the bondage of spiritual slavery and gives us a gift we don't deserve spiritual freedom and out of the pain of the past we get the freedom of the present and and it's incredible we go all the way around the cycle and the craziest thing happens god starts creating again and he creates purpose out of pain and he creates lessons out of lies. And he creates hope out of hopelessness. And he does it over and over and over again. And we keep messing it up over and over and over again. But he relentlessly pursues us over and over and over again because he's just that creative. We didn't even make it through one whole verse. It's going to be a good summer. In the beginning, God created. And he's still creating. This week, I'm at home. I'm watching Laurel recover. And God created an opportunity for me to trust him again. Some of you had a difficult week. And God had an opportunity. He created an opportunity for you to, to see do you believe he's been faithful or not? Everybody in the room, we all messed up. But God created a Holy Spirit that comes and convicts and never condemns. And says, I can teach you that lesson if you'll trust me. Right now, God's creating a new opportunity for you to know him a little bit more. He's connecting your head and your heart to him. And the reality is sin is in the way for all of us. But through Jesus, the relationship can be restored because God wants to redeem his broken creation for his purpose and your joy. And God hasn't stopped creating even though you may have lost hope. 
Welcome to Genesis. And we're just getting started. So I got a question for you. As we're wrapping this up, it's time to be done. What do you sense God is creating in you right now? Is he creating a, a passion in you to love your neighbor enough to actually go and have a conversation? Is he creating hope inside of you that says, even though you don't think you deserve amazing grace, you actually do? Because God said you could have it. Is God creating a new prayer, passion inside of you to have that conversation, not just in the morning and at the end of the day, but all day long because you just can't find anybody better to talk to than the God of creation himself? Is God creating in you a new curiosity to walk down a wooded trail and look at the trees and go, how in the world did he do this? Is he creating a window into your soul to help you realize that whether or not you believe it or not, the reason that trail is there and the reason those trees are there is so that you could have a momentary glimpse of the fact that God made the trail for you and God made the trees for you because he knew you were going to be in exactly that place at exactly that time and that if you looked around, you might just think about him. Is God creating godly sorrow that will push you towards him and not away? Is God creating an opportunity for you to forgive yourself once and for all? If God's forgiveness is good enough for you, why are you holding on to not forgiving yourself? We're going to cover all of it in the next two and a half months. I can't wait and I hope you'll stick with me, even when it's 84 degrees outside. And if not, check out the internet, because God created that too, for his good purpose, nothing else. Okay, so, would you pray with me? God, I thank you, you created this moment. And you created these people to be in this room for this moment. And God, you created the beauty of what's waiting for us outside of the doors, you created it as a momentary tap on the shoulder to say, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I have a relentless plan that will never, ever be stopped. So God, as we've just dipped our toe into the beginning of the story, may we learn and may we encounter you all along the way. God, thank you for creating a moment like this to remember a moment like that. And may we see your fingerprints all over both stories. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.